You're listening to the Bible Guys podcast from Piedmont International University. I'm your host, Devin Ferguson, along with professors Jerry Hullinger and Rick Kleinard. The Bible Guys is a podcast focused on knowing God better through what he has written. You can find out more by following us on Twitter at BibleGuysPod and on Instagram. You can also contact us via email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. So what we're going to be looking at today, what we wanted to, is one of our things we feel like this podcast should be for people is, number one, we have kind of a target. We have yeah. a target of um, students, mm-hmm. uh, those who are either here at um, the School of Bible and Theology, or they are at other schools. And also another target is pastors. Yeah. Um, we want to just kind of be a place where Bible you know, nerds, guys get together <laughs> yeah. and just kind of talk about stuff that maybe doesn't get talked about anywhere else. And so one of our things we want to do is kind of a recurring theme in our podcast is to tackle passages that are either misunderstood, no one understands them at all, or often misinterpreted in, in a way to kind of bring it back. Uh, I believe, Dr. Hollinger, you use the phrase from Dr. Carson's book, The Gagging of God. And you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, Carson, in his book, Gagging of God, if anybody's read, he's talking about pluralism, so I'm well aware of what he's discussing. But one of the reasons I like the title is that if we you know, brought into our context. If we read the Bible and just interpret it any way we want, then we are essentially gagging God because his message is not not getting out. So I think what, and let's just be honest, what really perturbs us mm-hmm. is when people treat the Bible just like a collection of sayings. Yeah. Um, but we want to we want to deal with what was the author's intended meaning how would the original readers have understood him? And that's what we really want to get to. So even if somebody comes to the Bible and says something nice and something edifying, as good as that might be, yeah. they still gagged God because what God intended has not come through yeah. the text. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating your own religion. Yeah, and and I've used the, the illustration before of, uh, of a subway uh, the idea that I believe that New York exists and I believe that San Francisco exists. You, ju- you just can't get to, you can't get between them on a subway. And so while somebody may get up and say something really good, but use a passage to get there, you really haven't done the point of the passage. You really haven't gotten into the meat of it. Right. And so, um, and another, I, can't, I think a, a neat thing about us is we're both professors. Um, we have pastoral backgrounds. Um, and so it's not just let's stay in the academic world here with this. We, we really want the Bible to change people. Uh, we believe what, that God's word is his revelation to people, uh, he, what he wants us to know about himself and his will, and it, and it has a changing effect, a life-changing effect, and, and we want that to come through. Yeah. I think another great thing about this is like, you guys are two different people, and you have two different thoughts, and so some disagreement is probably going to happen at some point. I don't think you guys agree on every single passage in, in, in scripture. And I think that's really refreshing as well as so shows some, uh, some authenticity yeah. uh, with this, with this podcast. So I'm excited about that as yeah. well. Up to this point though, however, we have agreed pretty much on a lot of stuff. We might have to pick a fight one podcast to see. What well, happens. we'll do that. We'll just have one we, on that. Ooh, just that's a just good to find idea. a fight, just something yeah. we can, we can disagree over maybe a theological concept or something too. Yeah. All right. Well, the passage we've talked about this week to get us all to get started, is really a passage that has a lot of ways mm-hmm. that it can be misinterpreted. Um, and so it's Hebrews chapter 12. Yep. 
and specifically verses 1 through 3 is what we're going to be looking at um, specifically. One through two. Or I two, yes. Yeah, our one first two. disagreement. Uh, there it is. I, I wasn't looking. You've got an actual Bible in front of you. I've got a phone, so it's a very small font, and I'm getting older. Um, so so let's read this. Uh, Dr. Hollinger, if you want to read it, and uh, you have the King James in front of you, because you are King James only. I am King James right. only, and um, <laughs> see, that's another thing we disagree on. Yeah. He uses these heretical versions. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm King James only, and... Um, you're supposed to correct me. I know, me, I'm so. trying to. Yeah, I'm yeah. coming in. Yeah. <laughs> I was totally a joke there. Maybe not a good joke. We might have to edit that one later. Yeah, um, yeah. But we well, do appreciate the King James translation. We we do, and um, I know Rick likes to talk about translations. Yeah. And I, I've made the comment before that I, I lived in a purgatorial world of King James onlyism for a while. So I have I a lot to all. say. I have a lot yeah. to say about it, but... Uh, yeah. So yeah, getting to Rick's point, we're going to deal with Hebrews 12, and really the first word is wherefore. Exactly. And I, I think um, that's one of Rick's favorite words, oh. probably something to say about constantly, it. Constantly use it. It's just, he kind of gets, now that I, when I hear people say it, I almost want to roll my eyes, even though we said it. It's like one of those things you've heard a thousand times. It means it's building on something right. previously. Uh, I used to have a pastor that says, whenever you see wherefore, you look Yeah, and we don't, wanna, yeah. we don't want to uh, say that, no. but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so so anyway, in this passage we're looking at, we have to look at the chapter before it, which is commonly called, which Dr. Hullinger, Hullinger loves this phrase, um, the Hall of Faith. I yeah. loathe that phrase. <laughs> right. <laughs> and as soon as somebody says that, okay, you're yeah. probably going to get the whole thing wrong. Right. We, exactly. We got two disagreements already. Yeah. We're going to start off well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, let me interrupt you. Let's and get our this third out. one. Yeah. Um, what's, what's odd here is you've got a wherefore, it's the first word of chapter 12. And I certainly hope people understand that these chapter breaks are not inspired. They're not part of the original text. They did not originate to the Middle Ages. And um, and a lot of these are just lame breaks. And this is a case in yeah. point. And I think that's one reason people get messed up right at the beginning here. Which is why people are... The, people are buying reader's Bibles now, which is like a big boon. Have you gotten one of those, Dr. Hunt? I have not, sir. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have... I only have one. It's just the Gospels. Huh. Um, but I, I like it. It's pretty good. Mm. Um, but it is kind of confusing as I'm reading through. I'm like, oh, I, I think I'm in chapter 11, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, in Hebrews chapter 11, you have the, um, the basically a definition of faith. You have without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. So I have my King James memorization background there. There we go. And um, but then you see each example by faith, this person did something. So you see that what the author is trying to teach there is faith is going to lead to an action. Mm-hmm. Faith leads to an action of obedience. And then you get to this last line, or you get to this verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. And and if I could, I think it's it's good to bring in even the larger context of the book. Mm-hmm. The the author, whoever yeah. that might have been, nobody knows, nobody ever will know. And it probably wasn't Paul, right? I don't think it was Paul. I don't. I don't either. Do we, I don't think it I was. Think John either. MacArthur really does. Does he? I think does he? so. I does believe so. Yeah. Well, he must be right. Oh, oh. <laughs> he's looking at evidence none of us have uh, are privy to. You know, I've, heard, I've heard Apollos. I've heard Barnabas. Barnabas. I even heard Luke, which I'm thinking. I don't think a Gentile wrote this in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, and I even heard one recently, Priscilla. That's Priscilla. a good option, Priscilla. I think that's definitely on the short list. All right. But regardless, whoever the author is. I think it's important to point out that the book is written to Jewish Christians. Mm-hmm. They are undergoing 
persecution. And I think the problem is not so much the persecution, but that there's no end in sight for the persecution. So because of that, they're growing, they're growing weary. They're kind of stagnating in their Christian life. Some of them are contemplating defecting Mm -hmm. from the faith, going back to Judaism. And I think that whole kind of, of logic throughout the book really sets up why he would present these people in chapter 11. And, and really, if I could mention at the end of chapter 10, he says, you are in need of endurance. Mm-hmm. So obviously in chapter 11, he is giving examples of those who have patiently endured uh, despite hardships. Then you have the word wherefore. Right. So what he's going to say in 12, 1 and 2 is going to build upon these examples he has already given to us. Right. So uh, here we go. We'll read it. I'm going to read out the CSB today. I have it in front of me on the the phone here, but we can do a couple of different translations. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So let's stop there because there's our first problem. Yes. So ways we've heard this, um, that you, I've heard the, you have angels watching, cheering you on in the stands. Oh, I have not heard that one. I've yeah. heard the grand, your grandma, yeah, your the deceased loved yeah. ones. That's that's the creepy one. Yep. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, grandma's watching me. Yeah. It's like I can think of nothing worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which is terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's. I know God's watching, but Nana, yeah. you, know, you gotta you gotta give me. <laughs> Isn't a break. that odd? We almost yeah <laughs> casually disappoint God, but if we think some relatives watching us, it's kind of <laughs> right. Oh, I better not do this. So, so obviously we don't think that's what's being said there. And yet some commentators are adamant that this cloud of witnesses are dead Christians. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe that could be a point of, dis- point of debate. So what is, what is our common, let's take a poll here. How do we feel about study Bible slash commentaries? Let's just go with study Bibles right now. Because I personally, I used to, I have study Bibles. The only issue is there's so much either they don't cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. especially the d- difficult passage, or they take a definitive stance in really the wrong way. Yeah. That, that to me, is the biggest problem, the unevenness mm-hmm. of the notes. So if one person is doing this, mm-hmm. you know you know what they're going to say about a passage before they even get there. And, mm-hmm. and I think when people really fall in love with a study Bible, they kind of— you know, are pretty much duped by everything that is in it. I think that can be a danger. And I think that people take those notes as the inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. That's I mean? true. Like yeah. they, they study Bibles, I think are a great marketing ploy. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? True. It's like, and a distraction very, yeah, when yeah. you're, when you're trying to pay attention to the sermon and it gets a little boring. You're like, Oh, let's see what, well, uh, maybe they, yeah. there is some merit. Yeah. There's study exactly. Bibles. So, yeah. so can Just, we, Study Bible for everybody, right. I mean, any type of person, yes. yeah. there's a study Bible for that, that, you know, so, so can we go ahead and just say on the line, we're not going to go with the BGSB, Bible Guy Study Bible? Well, it could be an exception. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean it depends on the, the payout, I, I guess. I kind of like it. <laughs> let's, just, let's keep that in mind. All right. Okay. So we, we know it's not, or we don't believe it is, I should say, that it's your deceased loved ones or the angels watching. So And, and this should be so obvious right. that even Devin would know this. Wow. wow. First Devin shot of the season. So... <laughs> So Get who are who are the cloud of witnesses? I mean, right. obviously. I mean, clearly, it's the people from chapter eleven. Exactly right. Yeah. Now, are they watching us, Devin, or what? They see you when you're. Sleeping. Oh, the holidays. Um, 
and you've let us down. <laughs> um, so really, I'm, I'm sure you're paying. I'm sure you're kidding. Um, I am. Uh, you've, the dripping N- with sarcasm, so right, folks. Yeah. So, so really, now the NLT really helps out with this a bit. And I'm a proponent. I like the NLT. I think it's a good translation. The NLT says it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Yes. So it's the idea that these witnesses, it's not so much that they're watching us. It's not that at all. Right. But rather, they are testimonies of what a life yes. of faith looks like. Yeah. So since we have that you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you you have this, you've, your family has been these amazing servants of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Why are you an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> that right. kind of idea. Yeah. So, um, as you said, the word witness means to testify to something. So they are not watching us. We are watching them because they have testified to the fact that patient endurance is possible yeah. through the hardships of life. Right. Which, which is the point he's making in, in chapter 11. Okay. So now we come to our next por- por- portion here where he says, let us lay aside, CSB again, let us lay aside every hindrance. Uh, what's, how's the King James word it? King James has every weight. Every weight. And clearly a, a racing metaphor here. Um, one is to lay aside anything that would hinder progress. I, th- I think the point we like to bring out here, though, is that weight is not a reference to something that's sinful. Right. Yeah. Right. Definitely. It's just, it's just anything that could encumber us in living the Christian life. And I think for most Christians, you know, obviously sometimes we struggle with major sins, but I think for most Christians, that's not where the major problem is. No. And I think that's important because it comes up in the next passage. If we're going to talk about sin, it comes up the next section. Yes. Um, and here, we were talking about this earlier, that, that this is not ruining my sermon manuscript for Hebrews 12 that I preached uh, on this. I was like so thankful um, because it's the same idea. You're right, the racing metaphor. Um, you know, it's the idea that those who would run in that time, would, would, they wouldn't dress normally. They would almost mm-hmm. be as free say as they could it, you can, be. You can say it. Yeah, be, uh, almost naked, free, be as free as they or could be. Or even yeah. naked. Um, and which, you know, the, it helps apparently, um, but the idea well, that that they're not distracted, they're not encumbered by extra right. clothing. Yes, yeah. And I think for a lot of a lot of us, again, what slows us down, it's the legitimate things of life. Right. It's not the bad things. Yeah. And so we need to take an honest look at our. You know, what is slowing me down? It may be something yeah. perfectly good. But it needs to be laid aside. So can we use our first pastorism of the season? Pastorism is a thing. I think a lot of pastors, we say them. They sound really good, but maybe they're not accurate. Um, But I think this one is, the phrase is, we we sacrifice the best for the good. We need, it may not be, it may not be bad. It's not bad for us. It's good. It's just not the best. Right. Uh, I think that's true. When I preached this sermon one time in in our church, it was, I targeted the idea of, hey, for the mission of our church, we are bogged down with lots of good things, programs. Mm-hmm. They're great things, but they're not the best things because they're not putting us on the mission that God has given us. Yeah, I mean, a lot of churches just need to be totally gutted. Oh, yeah. Because all of the peripheral yeah. have just taken the place right. of the good. Okay, so that takes us to the next part. Um, we, we've laid aside the hindrance, and CSB says, the sin that so easily ensnares us. Right, I, I think the key here. Not only as you distinguished a moment ago between weight and sin, but the article yeah. before sin. And for a lot of people, this is kind of a carte blanche where 
we begin to talk about our besetting sin, and that's not, I think, what the text is indicating. The sin in Hebrews yeah. is a reference primarily to the sin of unbelief. That was what was holding these people back. And really, unbelief is the root cause of every sin, mm. and that was the problem with which these readers are struggling. And this is where I kick in with doing biblical counseling. Uh, you, you, a lot of biblical counselors will use this passage to say, okay, what's that sin? That's, what sin is that the sin that sets you up? Mm. And they'll say, the author of Hebrews says everybody has one. Exactly. It doesn't. No. It doesn't say that at all. Um, it's true. We might have one or more. We might have that one thing we constantly struggle with, but that's not what's being said in this passage. Dr. Ellinger, could you go into that a little, a little further? I really think that's interesting, talking about unbelief sort of being the, the root of, of all sin or every sin that you mentioned? Yeah, well, I think generally any sin that we set up as an idol mm -hmm. becomes unbelief that God can do for us what we think that idol can do. Yeah. And if you take that general principle and you apply it to any particular sin, I think it's typically going to play out yeah. that the reason I keep doing something, the reason I keep – and I, I understand you know, there's more at work than this – but I think the root, the root cause is we simply do not believe what God has said. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that too, and, I, and I, I've heard. I think John Piper says sin is what we we do when we're we we are not satisfied in everything that God is, mm -hmm. and I think the way we act on that is is an unbelief. Mm -hmm. um, Jer, um, Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read that. That's no. that's a, I would. I would put that out there. That's one of those books that was like a double punch in the face with both fists when I read that book. And it's it's that idea that you, you, these are things you didn't think you struggle with. Mm -hmm. And we, we say respectable in the sense of like, well, everybody struggles with it. And the author, Jerry Bridges, is trying to say, you know, but it's sin mm -hmm. and it separates you from God because God has this for you. Right, exactly. So that's good. Good point. All right, it takes us to um, the end of verse uh, one. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us not so much problem with that one. I think we got that idea. Mm -hmm. But keeping our eyes on Jesus, uh, CSB says the source and perfecter. I believe KJ, King James says author and finisher. Author and finisher. Finisher. Um, Which we're not happy with. Right. The NET says the pioneer and perfecter of nice. our race. Nice. Right, the pioneer. I like that one. Well, and does, um, uh, does the NET have a, a pronoun before faith? The, it is not, but there's a note. Can I throw one in here? It's an allusion to Psalms 110.1. The NLT says, and I was reading this today, getting ready for this. The NLT says um, that Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Did you ask if there's a pronoun before faith? I did. There is our faith. In the NET? In the NET. Wow, very surprising. Yeah, our faith. And uh, same thing in CSB. Same in the King James. It's pro it should be in italics, I'm assuming, because there is no pronoun in the text. Um, and, I, and I think when the pronoun is inserted here, which is a clearly interpretive decision, that suggests that this text is talking about uh, sort of the perseverance of the saints, that Christ is going to complete the faith we have exercised him in him until the end, which I don't think is the point. So if you would allow me just to Do it. Yeah, keep. go for it for a second 100%. here. Um, and again, I'm referring to the King James here. The term author here, pioneer is good. I like the term champion mm. is good. 
and then finisher or perfecter is good. And so we should read it champion perfecter of faith, or if we really wanted to be paraphrastic here, we would say Jesus is the perfect example of faith. Or I would even argue we could translate it the perfect example of faithfulness. So what the author has done in the passage is in chapter 11, he's given all these examples. He's then given us an exhortation. And then on the other side of that, he gives the supreme example of the one who endured faithfully. So he should be the one to whom we look so it could as be, a prime example. So it could be the idea where he says this, the pioneer and perfecter, the source and perfecter of maybe how our faith should be. I don't want to add too many words there, but of like what our faith should be like. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good, and, and that's why I use the phrase perfect example. Yeah. So he is the perfect example. That's good. And and I know that's the part you're going to get to next. Right, and that's where this is where I, I like to land um, because in this passage, what I like to speak on mostly is this next line. So the CSB says, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's the focus on that that one little that one little word for um, in in the Greek that's the Greek word anti, mm-hmm. um, which everywhere in the New Testament except for this passage, but in most modern translations, it's translated instead of. And so a if we're going to be consistent, the translation could it should say something like this: We keep our eyes on Jesus, the perfect example of our faith, our, our faith, who instead of the joy that was before him endured the cross, and so. The idea of the way the way I've commonly heard this taught is is that God or Jesus saw the joy of of you sometimes it's or heaven with God again but mostly it's it's always brought down he saw you he saw the joy that set before him was you coming to faith in Christ so he endured the cross well if you take the instead of it could be that instead of the joy that was before him, the, the relationship with the Father, that perfect union in the Trinity. He came to earth, filling out like what, exactly what Philippians tells us, and endured the cross, despising shame, and then was a sense of the right hand of the throne of God. So, Yeah, I, I, the idea is exchange, yeah. if you've pointed out. Yeah. And, and the great um, parallel passage, you also mentioned Philippians 2, which gives the same thought. Here he is in heaven um, being worshipped. He has need of nothing, not even people. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's not like he's suddenly complete with us. So here he has everything, but he lays that aside, and he humiliates. He comes to earth and humiliates himself. Another option, which I like to throw out here, I'm not sure Rick is sold on this one, but we'll just set it out there. It's also possible, I think, that this is a reference to his earthly ministry because what the readers of Hebrews are being tempted to do is to take the path of least resistance, go back to Judaism because of their problems. So he could be saying, though I love the, the kenosis idea from Philippians 2, another possibility is that Christ during his earthly ministry He faced temptations to go the easy way. Maybe it was the crowds trying to crown him as king. Maybe it was Satan trying to get him to bypass the cross. Well, instead of that, 
uh, he he went the more difficult way and he persevered in the plan that the father had for him. So I, I think that's a legitimate option as well. And I, I think it's a good point too. And I don't, I think it's, this is what's beautiful about scripture is that the author was intentionally, I won't say the word unclear, but he didn't double down so that you know exactly what he means. Because mm-hmm. both of these are viable, both of these are good interpretations. And they both say basically the same idea. Yes. And so I think that's a, a benefit. Whereas when we, we could talk about translations another time, where sometimes a translation will, this is, it'll be more of an interpretation. This is what it means. Mm-hmm. That's why I like a little bit more of the more wooden of, it could, there's a couple different options here mm-hmm. uh, with the way that wording is, is taken. And, and the, none of us can get into the writer's mind and know exactly what reference he had was thinking about. But I, I think both are very, very likely. I know that this passage has given a lot of people who want to hold that Paul wrote Hebrews. They give them a little bit more steam because they say this is completely Pauline because he says this in Philippians. Mm-hmm. But also there's the belief that Philippians was, what was quoted in Philippians was actually a, a church creed. Right. So that it was just universal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So here's where we want to land it. And that's why we want to land on these kind of times is, all right, so we have that pastoral heart. How do we... What do, you, what do we communicate now to our, I think we've said it, but let's kind of put it in a quick kind of tweetable phrase. Mm-hmm. What do we want to share with our congregation from this passage? What's the point of the passage? Well, let me say this. This is what, <laughs> here I'm almost slipping into this um, reader response hermeneutics, which I'm not intending to do. I almost said, here's what I get out of it, which is not how we want to interpret the Bible. <laughs> right. but, but based on the interpretation I think the valid application I draw from this is really it tells me something about the Christian life, that it is a race, that it is something that can be hard. It is something that we're tempted to veer from on occasion, and I don't think that that's a sinful thing. And I know you and Rick, Rick, you and I have talked before, sometimes the Christian life absolutely stinks. And it's not the kind of life we might want. Oh, yeah. And yeah. people feel guilty mm-hmm. sometimes that they feel that way, and, and I think that's why they buy a lot of Christian self-help books and they go to Christian conferences. It's like, ooh, let me get that secret thing that's yeah. going to turn my Christian life into something wonderful. Well, a lot of times it's just plain endurance yeah. in light of hardship. That's what these readers are going through. And what do we do in those circumstances? We realize, hey, this can be done. All of these people in chapter 11 did it. Christ did it. And even though I'm going to feel weak at, you know, at times, you know, I can look to these examples, and that's going to help me get through. Yeah, and I think the com- there for a while, um, it seemed like every sermon I heard on Hebrews, if somebody's preaching through Hebrews, it had the, the name Jesus is better. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. um, and I get it. It's absolutely true. Right. But there's also something there. What's the command for me? The command for me is to keep, I'm going exactly. to quote the theology of Meet the Robinsons, keep moving forward. That, uh, that I think, is the ultimate purpose. Yeah. Keep moving forward because Jesus is better. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm looking to him uh, who is the perfect example. And so um, in those moments when we come to this passage, come to passages like this, it's always important to remember, all right, where do we, where do we, what do we want to do with it? Because yeah. it's not just something for the study Bible mm-hmm. to omit when it's difficult. It's all of God's words are his communication to us, mm-hmm. and it has a point. And so we, we, we need to figure out what that is, 
Uh, that's what being a good steward of God's word um, means. And we say, okay, how do we handle this? So we, I would tell my congregation, keep persevering because Jesus is better than what you're dealing with. Jesus right. is much better than what you're dealing with and even beyond what your mind can fathom. And particularly if, if one were to read through the whole letter, sometimes the, the writer gets very abrasive with them. Right. And he warns them, you know, if, if you don't persevere, you're facing incredible peril. Yeah. In fact, you will face greater parable than if you continue on. And here in chapter 12, they would have had all that by this time. Mm-hmm. And so now he's positively, look, don't go back. You're going to be judged. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to lose eternal reward. Rather, look to those who have persevered, and you can make it make it through. And they were also going to face the face of physical danger because right. to go back to Judaism and to go back yes. to Jerusalem. Yes. And this is written around 66 AD, yeah. right at the time of the Jewish revolt. And in 70 AD, Titus, the general, comes in and destroys the city and destroys the temple, and yes. many Jewish people lost their lives. That's right. So here's a, a prophetic warning. Don't go back. It could it could cost you your life. And that, and I'm sure we'll get to it a, a later time, but, but that's the warning in chapter 10. Yeah. Don't forsake the assembly because right. the day is approaching. Exactly. So don't forsake Christianity. Go back to Judaism because, as you said, 8070 is, is right on the horizon. This has been the Bible Guys podcast from Piedmont International University. Located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, PIU is a Christ-centered university committed to educating aspiring leaders worldwide through exceptional teaching, scholarly research, creative innovation, and professional collaboration. You can find out more at piedmontu.edu.